Good morning. Welcome to our Daily Word and Prayer. My name is Tom Short. So glad to have you along with me today as we get into the Word of God and talk about this is Holy Week. As such, we've been talking about the events of the week that changed the world. Indeed, when Jesus Christ had his triumphant entry into Jerusalem on that what we would refer to as Palm Sunday, the next day, he, so what we talked about yesterday, he cleansed the temple of the basically the greedy, price-gouging people who took advantage and oppressed people in the name of religion. Sadly, this is what Jerusalem had become, a place where, where powerful people, uh, really a, uh, in agreement with government power and religious power, had become oppressive to the people, and Jesus would have none of it. He cleansed the temple of these people. And then we come to today. Now, today's quite an interesting and, shall I say, even somewhat controversial because he gets into what's called eschatology, which has to do with the return of Christ. And there's a lot of, lot of people who debate issues relating to the return of Christ. And sometimes I think we miss what's really important in the midst of it, and that's what I want to stress today. In our short time we have together, there's, I'm limited in what I can talk about. So I want to stress what I think needs to be focused on and important above all else today. So let's go ahead and talk about what was going on here when Jesus uh, was engaging with, shall we say, rebuking the Pharisees. This is Matthew chapter 23. He pronounces eight woes unto them. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He begins each of them. And he talks about their oppression. He talks about they, they, make a, they travel to make a convert. And when they are converted, they're twice as much a son of hell as before. Whoa, what a comment for Jesus to make about someone. He warned them they were like whitewashed tombs. They're outwardly mar beautiful marble, inwardly filled with dead men's bones. He said, likewise, even outwardly, you appear righteous to men. But inwardly, you're filled with all greed envy, hypocrisy, etc. That was a verse that had a lot to do with my salvation. As I read that and I realized, uh-oh, I think this could be referring to me. I better figure out what's wrong with me and how to get it fixed. And that led that was instrumental in my journey to finding Christ. But after all of these woes, Jesus came and he and he he made this comment. He's talked about the judgment that was coming the blood of all the righteous prophets, all the righteous men from Abel on to Zechariah was going to come upon this generation, he says at the end of Matthew 3. He said, all these things will come upon this generation. Now, that was a pretty heavy comment because he was, he was pronouncing woes and he was saying all the blood, all the judgment upon all these righteous people throughout the ages was going to come upon this generation. What's that mean? He goes on, this is the end of Matthew 23, verses, uh, well, 30, actually 35 through 37, I believe. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks. And you were under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
what a statement here. We see the heart of Jesus, his love for people, his love for the people of the city of Jerusalem that had become a corrupt, shall we say, a spiritual harlot. He said, I wanted to gather you to myself, but you weren't willing. This was my desire. This was my heart, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't cooperate. You were unwilling. And so what's the result? Your house is left to you desolate. Now, what's the house he's referring to? He, the house would have been the house of the Lord, the temple. They were standing there at the temple. Now, for us, this is it's hard for us to grasp how important this is. Most of us, you know, we say, hey, God dwells in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And most of us Christians, we don't place as much emphasis on the building and the facility. But for the Jewish people, the temple was the dwelling place of God here on earth. The temple was where they all their worship was centered around the temple. All the sacrifices centered around the temple. Sure, they had their synagogues that were scattered throughout the, the nation, throughout the other places. But it was you had to come to the temple. Their worship had to be done in the temple. The temple... Well, the synagogue was a place of teaching. The temple was the place of worship where the sacrifices and all that mattered, all that was central to their religion was going on in Jerusalem, in the temple. And Jesus said it had become corrupt. He tried to gather them and they would not come. Your house, this house, this house is left to you desolate. And it's going to be until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, obviously, this was quite alarming to the disciples. And so after he said this and they were leaving, his disciples came up to him and they uh, to point out the temple buildings to him. Obviously, they're saying, Lord, look at this beautiful. I mean, it's a huge temple, huge facility. It was a glorious, magnificent building structure. And they came up and they pointed it, to him, pointed it out to him. They said, uh... You're not talking about this, are you? You're not implying the temple could be destroyed, are you? I mean, how, how could this be? The temple's so important. For us here in the United States, it'd be like, like the, the Capitol's going to be extinguished. The White House is going to be gone. All these things of, of our national identity are going to be gone. And the, the, they couldn't believe, you know, what would this mean? Jesus said to them, do you see all these things? Well, what things? The temple. They were they were looking at the beauty of this building. They had just pointed out to him the beauty of the temple buildings, the power, the structures. He said, Do you see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. Wow. This must have just how do you say that? How did the disciples handle this? This must have just been shocking to them. And it ended up being a true prophecy. Jesus predicted this or prophesied this in about 30 AD, roughly. In 67 AD, the Romans decided we, they'd had enough of, of the Jews and they destroyed the temple. They tore it down bit by bit. And when you go to Israel, you can see the, the large, huge stones that were just thrown down from the top, some of which still have inscriptions from that period of time, and just thrown down from onto the ground and one after another. You say, well, isn't the Wailing Wall, wasn't that still, I mean, did, did Jesus' prophecy come true because the Wailing Wall is still there? That was at the foundation, under, under laying down the foundation for the Temple Mount. 
but the temple up on top of the temple mount every stone of this magnificent structure was thrown to the ground was torn down bit by bit now this was an astonishing thing to predict and an astonishing miracle that happened by the way i point this out to jewish people because the sacrifices the yom kippur sacrifices that uh, uh, for the day of atonement yom kippur the day of atonement those sacrifices had to be done in the temple since 67 a.d they have not had these sacrifices and just as Jesus said, it came upon this generation. That generation of, of Jews was the last generation to have sacrifices for the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And how interesting, they are not without a sacrifice because Jesus, the, the true sacrificial lamb, gave himself, his blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins, he was their sacrifice. But, but after him, that was the last generation. And no generation since has had the sacrificial system. They don't need one. Jesus is their sacrificial lamb. There's been an end to the sacrifices. An end to the Jewish blood sacrifices. Because Jesus, the true Messiah, who was the true lamb of God, has given his life for the sins of the world. Anywhere they ask them this question, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? What were they, they, I don't know if they understood everything. And to be honest, I'm not sure we understand everything about the second coming. But I do believe they were asking about this destruction of the temple. In this context, he's saying something's coming upon this generation, a judgment. I wanted to gather you, you would not accept it. And now here they said, well, what about this house is going to be desolate? What's, what are you saying? When's this going to happen? And he says to them, he gives a list of things in Matthew 24, which we don't have time to talk about, which I believe has a double fulfillment. Prophetically, some prophecies throughout the Old Testament and the New were to be fulfilled soon and others in the distance, in the distant time. And I do believe that Matthew 24 speaks of this coming destruction that the nation of Israel is going to have. They'd rejected the Messiah. They were about to be destroyed. The temple is going to be destroyed. And Jesus warned them. And he warned them, if you're in Jerusalem, flee to the mountains. Get out. Get out of here. It's going to be, no life would be preserved. If you don't follow my instructions, you're, it's, it's over. And indeed, many Christians did flee. And they avoided this destruction. And, and the Christian faith helped spread because when the Romans came in 67 and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the city, many of the Christians had left and were in a place of safety. They had prepared themselves. They were ready. Well, it also means we should be ready for our day. Jesus said, he's, he's talking here, and he says in Matthew, For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. What's he saying here? There's a tendency in life to lose sight of spiritual realities and upcoming prophecies, fulfillment of prophecies. Don't you wish that when God prophesied something, it would all just happen like within, say, a few weeks or months? 
we tend to forget. We tend to forget about it. We tend to get busy with just regular life. In the days of Noah, he took a long time to build that ark. In the days of Noah, people, you know, he was pronouncing judgment. They got tired of it. They got to the point of saying, yeah, yeah, we've heard this before. You've been saying it before. You're, they got tired of him crying wolf. So they just went on with life, marrying, giving in marriage, typical things, conducting business, eating, drinking, just living life until suddenly the prophecy came to pass. Suddenly that rain became, the door had been closed, the rain came, and now it was too late. What's the heart of prophecy? The heart of prophecy is not to try and figure out, well, it's going to be like this month or this year, or it's coming real soon, and so we better get ready. The heart of prophecy is to realize that God, God's warnings often are into the distant future, and we should always live and always be ready. We don't want to become spiritually immune or spiritually apathetic. Here, I've heard it before. I've heard it before. I've heard it before. Now I don't believe it anymore. I'm, you know, they've always been saying the end is near. No, he's saying God in his patience. He's not slow about his promise, but he's patient. He's waiting. He's merciful. Let's do remember that judgment was coming upon these people. And when Jesus announced it then, it didn't come for almost 40 more years, 35, 37 more years before it came. And my friends, we have lived in a time when there's been a, you know, we're warned, Christ is coming back. There will be a coming judgment. Be ready. Be ready. If you're not a Christian, if you're not right with God, if you've not repented, turned to him, believed in Jesus Christ, be ready. Get ready. You don't know the time or the hour. Jesus said he would come like a thief in the night. If you knew when the thief was coming, you wouldn't be asleep in your bed. You'd be up ready and prepared and guard your property. But he said he's coming at a time when you do not expect. Be ready. Be warned. Jesus told, after this, he went on after he talked about this in Matthew 24 and 5, he told parables. Five different times, I believe it was, he gave warnings. Be ready, be ready, be ready, be ready. You don't know the time. I don't know the time. There's been times in my youth I thought I did. I thought, I well, it's certainly going to be by this time or certainly going to be by that time. And sometimes if we do that, we can become a little bit disillusioned, a little bit discouraged that he didn't come back in the time frame we thought. All I know is his coming is closer now than it was when I first heard about it, when I first learned about it. It's, come, it's sooner now than it was then. I want to be ready. And I'm not talking about just being ready at that particular moment. I'm talking about being ready in life. Live in line of the finish line. We don't, we, whether Christ comes back or we just die at death, we never know. You know, I'm an Ohio State football fan. One of our star former players killed suddenly this past weekend at age 24. Kind of shocked our whole city. 24 and dead? Yeah, well, yeah, it happens. If you've lived longer, it's a gift of God. I've lived longer than my father lived. It's a gift of God. Every day is a gift. But we don't know. This could be your last day. This could be the day Christ comes back. You never know. Be ready. Live each day that if he returns, you would not be ashamed in the way he would find you. You'd be living for him. You'd be living a life of spiritual 
Christian integrity every day, day in, day out. Amen. Father in heaven, we bless you today. And we thank you in Jesus' name that you're, Jesus, you are coming back. We thank you that prophecy has already been fulfilled. What a Who would have ever imagined that temple could be destroyed? And it was. It was a fulfillment of what you said. It was a judgment that came upon them for their spiritual harlotry and the way they had forsaken you. And a judgment came. And we know, Father, that in your mercy and desire, even you, Jesus, as you said, you desired to gather everyone together as a hen would gather chick under her wings. But there are some who are unwilling. And because of that, and because of the number who are unwilling, and the, there is a judgment coming. I pray, Father, each one of us would be prepared. We know that our sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. We will have fled to safety. We will have been like that person who came under the wings of Jesus, under the protection of Jesus. I pray that for every single one of us here, Father. And I pray that we'd also, those of us who do have faith in Jesus, those of us who have been redeemed and our sins forgiven and we're on our way to heaven, I pray that we would live this day in light of that day. Lord, it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to become like the days of Noah and just go about our business, go about the affairs of life. There's so many things. And so help us, Father, to refocus day by day and remember what really counts, remember our destiny, to remember that there is a coming day of accountability, a coming day of judgment, a coming day in which some will go to eternal life and some to eternal destruction. And I pray, Father, that we would be prepared and ready and live this day in light of that day. Help us today to rise above all criticism, rise above those who would upset us, bother us, irritate us, anger us. Help us to be filled with the love of God today and the joy of the Lord. Help our faith to be strong. And I pray we'd be a source of encouragement, blessing, and hope to everyone we encounter. We pray this and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. That's how we want to live, isn't it? That's one reason we come here every day, and I hope you do join us every day. If you're new, welcome. Glad to have you along. But I'm here every day, 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. We're here because we believe it's important to be in the Word of God every day, and we need encouragement every day. It's so easy to become like the days of Noah. It's so easy to get distracted with the normal activities of life. You do it, I do it, and that's why we need regular encouragement. Once a week is good, but it's not nearly enough. Every day is so much better. We want to be everyday Christians and not once a week Christians. So God bless you. I hope to see you tomorrow. I'll be back tomorrow morning, 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. I'm coming to you from Ames, Iowa. Where we'll be preaching on campus again today. If you're in the Ames area, come out and join us. But until then, might God bless you. Might his face shine upon you. Might he fill you with his joy, his goodness, and his love. And remember, Today could be the day, so be ready.